Welcome to Raised on D&D Podcast. Twice a month, Raised on D&D brings you inspirational interviews, tips, and strategies to enhance your family's gaming experience. Your host for Raised on D&D has been a game master for 30 years and father to three gamers. Here is Nick Cartarelli. Welcome back, gamers. I'm your host, Nick Cartarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is from St. Louis, Missouri. He's the host of Dice Geeks podcast and the author of the book of random tables, the great book of random tables, dungeons, and 20 additional books to assist game masters. He's currently working on book of random tables, steampunk, and book of random tables, ancient world. Please welcome Matt Davids. Hi, Matt. Hey, Nick. Thank you so much for having me on. Matt, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of your books of random tables. I was running a Call of Cthulhu game for my children, and you know we were taking it back to the 1920s, 1930s era, the original Call of Cthulhu setting. And I did go ahead and I picked up your book of random tables for that genre and it was so helpful and so I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, Matt, before we jump into your books though, we want to kind of get to know you more as a gamer. Can you take us back to your first experience with Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop role-playing games? Sure. Um, first, thank you so much for buying my book and listening to my podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons, um, I think, I, at least I say this, I think it was 1982. Um, I was nine years old and uh, a friend of my brother's, but I have an older brother, his friend like called and said, hey, we're going to play the greatest game in the world. And so we went over there and we played this game. My mind was blown. There was dice with all these different sides on them. I had never seen any, you know, uh, anything other than a six-sided die or anything like that. Um, and um, I was immediately hooked just instantly. I, it, this is what I had been waiting for my whole nine years of existence. <laughs> Well, when someone tells you we're going to play the greatest game, it's kind of hard to turn that down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> there you are, nine years old. You're with your older brother, his friend, and you're playing the game, and it blows you away. How do you transition from playing the game to running the game? When, when do you finally get behind the screen? Uh, um, well, I went home. And I started immediately drawing dungeons on paper. I didn't have graph paper. I just started drawing dungeons. I made dice from pieces of paper that I put in a little bag so I could pull out 20 pieces of paper because I didn't have any dice. And the very next day, I ran my mom through a dungeon. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> so you jump right in and you're like, I can do this. I want to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get behind the screen now. You're sitting down with your mom in the 1980s, and how does she react to her first dungeon crawl in Dungeons & Dragons? <laughs> um, if I remember right, she was kind of confused by it, um, but she was humoring me because, you know, I'm her baby, right? So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, if, if I'm remembering right, she was very confused, but um, I... 
I of course didn't really know any of the rules or anything, right? Like, um, uh, so I had her like make a character. I'm I'm doing like quotes around make a character, right? So I I had her make some kind of character, and um, I don't think she knew what she was doing. But then I I basically just told her, you know, roll whatever on the 20 sided die. But of course I didn't have a die. I had bag full of paper with one through 20 on them. And so I had her draw out numbers uh, to do different things. I didn't, yeah, I just didn't even know what I was just making everything up. <laughs> but you were so excited and ready to do it. Yes. You were like, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try this out. I've got to make it happen. Yeah. How does your hobby progress moving forward into junior high, high school, college? Um, do you start to find a regular group? Uh, do you start going to conventions? How, how does it all go down? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, from there, we did play some more with like my, my older brother and his friend and his friend's younger brother, who was a little bit older than me. We, we had we played a few times. Uh, my brother's friend ran us through quite a few dungeons and things, um, usually with some DMPC who then takes all of our good treasure from us, you know, kind of classic, uh, you know, 1980s stuff. But yeah, from there, um, yeah, we did a lot of stuff. Actually, that same friend, he made a Star Wars game, you know, long before he had made his own system. And we played that a lot. Um, it was just a homebrew Star Wars system. And we did a lot of crazy stuff, blowing up the cantina and stuff. Um, and then, um, yeah, it, it just really quickly, you know, blossomed from there. I, I picked up... Um, Oh man, Marvel superheroes, the TSR yes. Marvel superheroes. I picked that up. That was actually an incredible game because being like 10, 11 years old, I could read the whole thing, understand the rules. It was just made for, you know, you know, kids and I could really just understand it all. And so I played that a lot with some friends. That's really where um, I, I ended up GMing quite a bit um, by actually like following rules and stuff like this. Of course, I had started um, also in third grade, a friend of mine, um, I don't know, his dad must have been into D&D in the 70s or something because he his dad just bought him all the books. So this friend of mine in like third, fourth and fifth and sixth grade, he just had every book of Dungeons and Dragons. So and like it blew my mind because they were, you know, they were so expensive for me when, you know, I was that age. Absolutely. And, that was, those are the yeah. best kind of friends to have is the ones with all the books. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we messed around. We just made characters all the time and um, and stuff like that. And I, I think we, you know, we tried playing, but again, we just looked at pictures and made up rules for stuff. <laughs> and then um, I picked up Star Frontiers. Um, I, I've told this story before on my podcast. Um, I, I read Star Frontiers like maybe three or four years ago. I pulled out the book and read the rules. I never played a single rule, an actual rule of that game. Like, I just don't even know what we were doing. Um, so I pr played that with another friend cause we like sci-fi stuff. Um, then let's see, I got fast star Trek. So as you can see, it just started kind of going all over, you know, so I got fast star Trek, um, did some of that. Um, and then the big, I guess the big kind of, uh, what like watershed moment was West End Star Wars. Um, yes. 
that I picked that up in uh, the first, I mean, it was the first edition, 1987. As soon as I saw it on the, on the shelf in the gaming store, I think I literally, I have a memory of, you know, I was looking at some FASA supplements and I was looking at some, um, Oh, car wars. I totally forgot about car wars. I played car wars a lot, even though that wasn't kind of, um, a role-playing game as much as a kind of a board game. But I remember I was in the store and I'm looking at some other things and I see star Wars, the West end game book sitting there. And I literally just jumped and grabbed it before anybody else could grab it. Of course I'm alone in the whole section, right? There's nobody there, but I had to like just jump and grab it. So yeah, then that game, I just started playing that like crazy. What was awesome about that is at the time, if people remember kind of the late 80s and early 90s, uh, D&D was fairly complex. The books were expensive, um, had some cultural baggage here and there, <laughs> um, uh, to put it nicely, I guess. And But Star Wars, right? The West End Star Wars game, it's D6, you know, so you have dice laying around. Uh, the rules, I could show you how to play the rule, you know, it's like 15 minutes, takes 15 minutes to make a character. So in a half an hour, mm. we're playing a game and all my friends had seen Star Wars a million times. So we didn't have to talk about the world. We didn't have to do anything like that. So nope. um, that started me on Star Wars West End, just playing that for for years and years and years. <laughs> that That is fantastic. My daughter, she asked me, she said, my friends are all Star Wars fans. If we could run a Star Wars RPG instead of a swords and sorcery setting, I think that they would be down for it more. And so I, I wrote up an, an adventure and I tried to pull from the expanded universe and I tried to pull from movies and comic books that I read, things like that. And I, I meshed it all together. But what was so funny was when we sat down there was, uh, I want to say there was six of them, including my daughter. I said, now who here has played any games like Dungeons and Dragons? And all these hands started going up. My daughter had felt like, oh, this is a nerdy thing that me and my family do. You know, um, yeah. my friends <laughs> will be cool with the Star Wars thing, but they'll not had any experience with role-playing games. And all these hands start going up and she starts looking around like, Oh, oh, I I had no idea. And so the game was amazing. It, it went off uh, really well. Fast forwarding, Absolutely. you're a husband and a father. Is your wife a gamer also? Does she like rolling games? Yeah, she does. And uh, I did forget to mention I played the Palladium games, uh, Superheroes Unlimited, a whole bunch of other games um, in that. But yes, my wife um, uh, enjoys role playing and um, it uh, actually ties into our origin story, if you will, a little bit. Um, I had introduced a friend years ago to uh, Star Wars uh, and to role playing games he had never played before. I had introduced him to uh, role playing games. Games. And then him uh, and his wife had actually gone to college with uh, my future wife. And we kind of started showing up at events at their house. And, um, and then uh, we started playing some. We started, uh, we played some Star Wars. We played some Star Trek. We played some D&D. And uh, things just kind of uh, went from there. <laughs> wow, that is fantastic. You're coming over for game night at your buddy's house who you introduced to gaming. Now, are you 
are you the dungeon master still? Are you the forever DM behind the screen? Or is your buddy running the game at this point? <laughs> well, um, usually for Star Wars, I would be running games. Um, uh, a few times he was actually running um, the Star Trek game. And then um, when we started uh, playing D&D again, another friend uh, ran us through some sessions of 4E and then... Um, the first couple times I played 5e, I actually got to be a player, um, but I, I do end up being the game master a lot. And um, uh, years ago, decades ago, it was not by choice. <laughs> um, I, I pretty much had to be the game master if I wanted to play. Uh, but nowadays, uh, I, I usually get the choice. If I, if I want to run something, I can choose and I can uh, also have the option of jumping into some of my uh, friends' games because they all want to run games now too. And that that's fantastic to have a group of dungeon masters that you can round robin and you're not, uh, you, you're not stuck and you're, you avoid that burnout. But at the same time, the, the best thing about being a game master or dungeon master is whenever you want to role play, there you are. You just need people and boom, you've got a game going. So that's great. You guys meet at the game table, fall in love, get married. And now uh, you have children of your own. How many children do you have, Matt? Uh, we have four children right now. Um, their ages are... Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, everybody goes crazy when I say their ages because they are <laughs> six, four, two, and two months. Wow. <laughs> well, well, congratulations <laughs> on the latest edition. And yeah, uh, that you. is fantastic. Little stair steps. Uh, I'm in the same boat with you. Mine are 17 months apart, um, but I'm... I'm uh, a little bit ahead. Nat, mine is 15, just got her driver's license to oh, or learner's permit today and got her first job just a couple of months ago. So that's wow. <laughs> I feel old. And then I've got the 13 year old who's about to turn 14. And then I've got the uh, uh, 12 year old about to turn uh, 13 this year. So they're, they're right back to back. And so that, mm -hmm. that, crazy time period that you're going through right now. I, I totally get it. I've, I've been there. Uh, so, but it's so, it's so wonderful. I, I'm, I miss them being little, little cuddle monsters. I can tell you that. Um, mm -hmm. But it goes by fast. So enjoy those, those early days. And Oh, uh, well, you're going to get plenty of time because you're not getting any sleep. Is that right, Matt? <laughs> no, actually uh, this baby is amazing. Um, she is our wow. only girl. So uh, she's actually Aww. really, awesome so uh <laughs> that's <fantastic>. yeah <laughs> and uh, you know um i'm pretty used to this point of you know of getting up at certain times and things and dealing with stuff so um, it's just You've been uh, conditioned over these years to do that exactly right. exactly i've had like you know almost seven years of going through some of this stuff so yeah <laughs> expert level at this point um yeah. so fantastic so they're they're young they're just starting out and you have started to introduce them to tabletop role-playing games. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even when my oldest was really young, um, since I started doing all of this stuff with Dice Geeks, and of course I play a lot, um, he started coming up with phrases like, make a character and things like this when he was even like three years old and stuff. And, um, 
so my first kind of uh, introduction was when uh, my oldest was three and um, I kind of sat him down. Like I had heard him mention some of these role-playing game terms that I guess I just use around the house quite a bit. And so I asked him, okay, well, let's make you a character. And so we, uh, I just, just, you know, asked him some kind of leading questions and say, what would you call him? And I think he said his name was Ifo. And, and then I asked him a few other, uh, you know, questions and um, like, what would, you know, what would he do or what would he carry with him? And he said some things like cookies and I think he said pepper and um books uh, he said he was going to carry some books with him and um you know some different things like that and then of course i asked him well you know how would he defend himself or something he said he had a lightsaber of course so um so we kind of went through that but then uh just a few months ago actually um kind of borrowing from your suggestion i went ahead and bought amazing tales and i uh, well, my wife and I, we sat down because we needed to help, but we sat mm -hmm. down with our three boys. And so the six, four and two year olds. So we sat down with them and I went ahead and ran amazing tales. So we had them make characters and um, the oldest said his character's name was Bjarn. Like Bjorn, but Bjorn. That's what that's what he said. And then um, the four year old uh, said his name was Lightning. And then our two-year-old, we, we asked him, we were like, what's your character's name? And he, he kind of does this thing where he goes, uh, and he looks off and then all of a sudden he yells Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so we named his character Star Wars. So um, that's kind of, you know, right where we began with that whole thing. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, between our conversation when I, I was a guest on your show on Dice Geeks podcast, um, which, by the way, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I, I forced my children to listen to it. Um, my youngest loved it. Uh, and the other two went is it thank you dad for for saying all those nice things <laughs> they're they're you got to understand they're teenagers they're angsty so we hear you talk enough dad right? yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and, uh, and so they um we had it we had that so we listened to the show and it was phenomenal and uh it was such a pleasure being on your show back that uh, we were talking about amazing tales being that rules light geared for younger gamers how did you present this to your wife did did you guys talk about it then get the game did you say hey i got this new game want to want to try it or you just surprise her by having her sit down at the table with the boys how did that transpire i i think um i i yeah i think i just said um I heard about this game and, you know, I had seen it before, but I hadn't really looked into it because I had seen it on drive through RPG, but I hadn't really looked into it. And I was like, you know, a, a guest on my podcast said this was really, really good game. So um, she was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, since she, since she enjoys playing, she was, she was just totally fine with it. So I, I, I picked it up and then um, I think it was the day we got it. I, I opened up the, you know, the Amazon box or whatever. And um, I think the boys, you know, they always want to see what I, what I'm buying or whatever. So they came over and they were like, what is this? And I was like, well, it's a game for you guys. And I think it was just, 
just right then they were like, well, let's play. So I think we just kind of sat, if I'm remembering right, we just, we just sat down right then. And, um, you know, my wife came over and we just got paper and started making characters. And what did, what did you guys end up uh, ordering, by the way? Did you get the, the original Amazing Tales? Did you get the big book of Amazing Tales? What'd you end up getting? I think I got the original one. Okay. Um, uh, um, yeah, I think it was just the original one, yeah. So can you tell us uh, about that first session with the children, how, how that went? Um, just, you know, what, uh, what you think their first impressions of it was, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, their first impressions, they loved it instantly. Um, they've been asking me to play again. Um, and actually, I told them I was going to talk about it on your show today, uh, just like a couple of days ago, and they were like, can we play? Can we play right now? And I was just like, okay, well, not right now, but maybe, maybe, you know, maybe over the weekend or something, we can, <laughs> we can check it out again. So yeah, they loved it and they really want to play. Um, I, I just think there's this something with, you know, um, I don't, I, I don't know if it's all kids, but certainly, um, there's just something about the imagination and being able to tell stories and being able to do something, um, as, you know, as a character, as a, um, um, you know, within the story and, and they love books, you know, um, we read to them all the time. My wife reads to them at least an hour or more a night and, you know, they love books, they love stories. Um, so they were just right into it. I just did something very simple, um, like uh, you're guarding a caravan kind of thing, you know, through the woods and they just got it. They just got it and they just went with it. And um, yeah, I mean, we just had, uh, we had a ton of fun. Now we, we didn't play for very long. We played for maybe a, maybe a half hour or 45 minutes at most. So we just kind of kept it short and played and they loved it. That's fantastic. And just that uh, little bit of introduction, um, you don't have to have that full four-hour session like you do with teens or adults. You got the the half an hour, 45 minutes in, and they obviously fell in love with it because they're begging for more and more and more. Um, I know that Martin Lloyd, the creator of Amazing Tales, he's got a... um, He's had a Kickstarter going. He's taking it to the next level with a new book. And so as the kids get older, there'll be another version of Amazing Tales that will be suitable for older kids. So... Uh, so it's 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 fantastic. I'm so glad you guys were able to discover that game, and I'm so glad that the family enjoyed gaming together like that. Matt, your books have been so helpful to so many dungeon masters. Having those tables and sources all together, amazing stuff. So can you tell us a little bit about it? How did you go from uh, gamer dad to... Uh, published author how how did you make that transition well the the transition to uh, being an author um, started in two thousand and fourteen um, and you know you you said you know maybe not to get too heavy on it, but a, a friend of mine actually passed away um, oh, sorry and, no that 's all right and um, uh, when I was at his funeral you know, I was seeing people that I hadn't seen in, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 years. I'm going to date myself. I I always give away my age (laughs) on all the podcasts, 
but you know, I was seeing people that I hadn't, um, uh, you know, seen in a long time. And a lot of my kind of my older friends, some of the circles that I had when I was a teenager in my early twenties, which this friend had belonged to, um, we had all played a game that I had made called Anarchy. I had made a post-apocalyptic game because we all wanted to be Mad Max when, you know, when we get into our teens and to our early twenties, we want to be Mad Max. So um, I had made up this game and we had all played, including my friend who passed away and my friend who passed away, he had been like my most prolific play tester. He was just like always there playing. We were hanging out a ton during that time. And so my other friends, you know, were like, did you ever do anything with that? And I'm like, you know, are you kidding me? Like I've, you know, I've gone on and had, you know, had to put food on the table and That's all right. kinds of, you know, things like that. It's like, I think the last time I looked at it might be like, you know, 1998 or, something, you know, or you know, who even knows. And so, you know, we were talking, but, you know, um, uh, we kind of had like, you know, almost like an hour drive back from the funeral kind of thing. And um, I was, you know, driving home and thinking and talking to my wife. And I was just like, you know what, maybe I should just publish, you know, write up the game, Anarchy, publish it. I'll be able to write my friend's name. I'll be able to write his name in there and say dedicated to, yep. and I'll just publish that. And that'll kind of fulfill a dream I had when I was 18 and it'll honor my friends. So, um, so I started trying to do that. Uh, you know, I, I went in and I pulled out some computer files, old things. I, I found some old folders with my papers and drawings in them. And I realized it was a total mess and <laughs> that nobody could ever play this, you know, and I was basically just making up the whole system in my head and never bother writing any, you know, hardly anything down. So I, I started looking on how I could do that. So I, I, I know the West End Star Wars system really well. So that's, you know, we already talked about that. So they have released, uh, when that company kind of went out of business, they released the system as the Open D6, Open D6 system. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is free to use under the, the OGL, the Open Game License. So I just grabbed that system, converted my game over to that. It took like a year and I went ahead and published it. And um, I kind of at that moment, something, you know, clicked inside of me and I was like, oh, right. Since that first day when I was nine years old and played Dungeons and Dragons, I have wanted to create role playing games. And so, um, you know, I started looking into things. I, I learned about DriveThru RPG and how you can publish on that platform and Amazon. And I just started you know, thinking of things that were just rolling around in my mind, things I wanted to run. And I started publishing things. But um, the first thing, though, like, well, it wasn't the first thing, but one of the things that came to my mind was random tables, because all my years of running the Star Wars game, they didn't have many random tables. And I was always, you know, telling some friends who hadn't played Dungeons and Dragons, 
you know, in the eighties, I was telling them, Hey, you know, back in the eighties, Dungeons and Dragons had all these really cool random tables. And yeah. if you just went into a room, you could just roll on that table and find, you know, something cool in there. But star Wars didn't have that. Um, my, you know, the fastest star Trek didn't have that. Um, some of the other games we were playing, they just didn't have those. The, some of the palladium games, the superhero games we were playing yeah. kind of in the late nineties and early two thousands, they didn't have those. So I would make up some of those on my own, you know, back when I was running games. So, you know, I would make those up when I had a lot more time <laughs> on my hands, I would make those up. So, you know, when I started putting out, you know, and publishing game material, I was like, I bet you people would like random tables. And so I released a few and, um, you know, I was starting to get into, uh, you know, D and D five E at this point and, and, and things like that. And so I, I just started putting together a few tables and then I gathered up some of my tables, put them all together in the book. And I called it the book of random tables. And I put that out and uh, that book kind of changed everything <laughs> because it hit. Well, and I'm going to tell you personally, it hit with me because as a dungeon master and sometimes the forever DM immersion in the setting is so mm -hmm. important to me. So I do a lot of research prior to, and I have to look up what kind of items are the costs of things. Um, I just recently ran a Western game. So not only did I have to find books that had that information and I had to spend time on the internet and I say had to, but you know, we're dungeon masters. We love that kind of stuff. But, but at the same time, your book of random tables cuts that prep time down so much. When I was going to run Call of Cthulhu last Halloween for my family, I went ahead and I picked up the random tables, the book of random tables, 1920s, 1930s, and off of drive through downloaded the PDF, and I loved it. There were tables for names, for items, for important people of the, that time period, including world leaders and the kind of jobs you could have, uh, media, songs. Your book helped me because I, I love, like I said, I love the immersion. I like the uh, ambiance. So if I'm going to run a game, I want there to be sound effects. I want there to be background noise. I want there to be music. When they walked into a speakeasy during the investigation, I was able to play music that was actually on the radio. Now, of course, your book didn't have the music, but it had the list of songs. And I was able to go to YouTube and find those songs. And then the slang. I, I, I can't tell you as a dungeon master that if you're doing a period piece like a Western or um, 1920, the Roaring Twenties, um, the Depression Thirties, um, I might know one or two slang words from maybe movies I've seen, but having your random table of slang words from that period was incredibly helpful, make the NPCs come to life and to make my players feel like they were actually interacting with people from that setting or that genre. Your books are incredible, and as uh, and for dungeon masters, they are invaluable in in time saving. But also, if if you're playing with a group that loves immersion, and I think that when you're playing with 
children, especially, they want that. They want to feel like they're part of a story. They're in a movie. They're part of the, the setting. The more the dungeon master performs the setting, describes it, and the NPCs give a, a voice to it, I think it makes it more comfortable for players, young and adults, to give in to that disbelief, to give in to that immersion, and then start using their own character voices and things like that. So, Matt, I just want to take a, a moment here as a fan to thank you for your books and thank you for your work and your contribution to the gaming community. Oh. Well, well, thank you, Nick. I mean, that's, I'm I am humbled by that praise um, because uh, you know that was some of you know some of the things you mentioned there were it was kind of my exact thought process because you know when I was 17, sure I could uh, you know I could sit in my room and jot down ideas while I'm watching TNG or whatever I was watching you know back then, and you know just jot down a whole bunch of ideas for my session that's coming up in a few days or whatever. Um, but you know as we get older and we have families and we have responsibilities, we do things you know outside you know work and community and you know. I mean, when are we going to have time to do some of these things? But when we run a game, we still want to do the best we can. And we want to, uh, you know, like you said, have that immersion in there. So um, that's what random tables do for me, because uh, some of the killers, I think, that that I experienced as a GM or a DM is, you know, when uh, the players go into a room and of course, they want to search the thing, right? If you're in a dungeon, they want to search the room. If you're on a spaceship, they want to search the room. You know, it doesn't matter. They want to search the room. So when, um, you know, a player asks me to search the room, you know, number one, I don't want to say you don't find anything because that's just, that just kills the whole session, right? I mean, that just kills the, the kind of the mood. The players get then into a habit. Then they don't search the room and you're like, well, you didn't search the room and I had the key there that you needed. So, you know, you, you want to kind of keep them coming back for more. And, um, and there's nothing, I don't, I, I have yet to find a better tool than that is if you walk into a room and the players know that I have, you know, maybe 10 1D 100 tables, you know, full of different items that they could find in that room, even if they are, you know, a rotten piece of wood to two gold pieces to a dead rat, you know, um, or a rusty nail. Um, it doesn't matter uh, to to the uh, to the players because we're still in the game, we're still in that world, and we can still uh, you know um, have that immersion feeling. And I didn't have to spend you know three hours putting those items in that room. You make an excellent point when you talk about the kind of the training your uh, players, if you if you don't have anything in the room, every time they say oh, we search the room, well, there's nothing here. There's there's well, there's this and that, but nothing useful. If that's your answer all the time because you don't you didn't have the prep time, you didn't have you don't have things uh, prepared. Well, like you said, you're training your players not to search, and then when they finally get to that room where they they need something. They're not going to yeah. search it. And so having those random tables and you, you get the, the players excited because they're like, oh, 
Matt always has cool stuff in every room or most rooms. So we got to search, uh, even if it's not directly related to the story, it'll be something cool that we find. And that's how you train your players to, uh, in, in the in the strategy of tabletop role playing games, yeah. right? Um, well, every dungeon master wants their players to use teamwork. They want them to search. They want them to look for clues. That kind of thing. So that I think that's a fantastic point and definitely helpful for the for the saving time. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a couple of books that you're working on now. We've got steampunk coming up and ancient worlds. So. Now, these are going to be two more uh, books with random tables. Um, how, I know you can't tell us too much about it, but what can we expect uh, from Steampunk and Ancient Worlds? Yeah, well, um, the Steampunk, obviously uh, picking up on kind of the Victorian era and um, uh, some items and things you might find in in rooms or in places. And then I've also followed kind of the same idea with the the Book of Random Tables, 1920s and 1930s. I put some time period specific things in there. So they'll, they'll be right at your fingertips so you don't have to, you know, go all over the place to try to find some of those. So um, some really... Uh, really fun stuff in in steampunk of course i make up tables uh in usually in each of the books i have something like adventure hooks or settings or encounters and just drawing from my knowledge of say jules verne and some some you know of that kind of classic literature so i'm i'm putting some of that in there and then the ancient world is um um, some of the mythic gaming, kind of the the Greek, some of the ancient, you know, classical world like that. So I've kind of gone back and make sure I have names from some of those cultures, uh, ancient Greece, uh, ancient Sumerian, kind of working in some of those names. So people would have those there. And then some items that are specific to the ancient world that you would um, not necessarily find in kind of a more medieval type fantasy. So amphora and things like that. And the things that um, you know, olive oil stuff that maybe a D&D world doesn't think about. So I'm putting, you know, uh, kind of those things into those books. Yeah. Well, that's phenomenal. And we're looking forward to that quite a bit. Um, my, my children are big fans of uh, Greek mythology. They grew up being read the stories. Um, as they got older, they read the Odyssey um, and the story of Odysseus and his journey across the sea. And uh, one of the, real quick, a, a funny story about that. My middle child read kind of an abridged version of the Odyssey a couple of years back. And he says, wow, this book is really good. He's like, oh, I, I really like this character, um, Odysseus, and um, all the situations he gets into. And he says to me, hey, how old is this book? And I said, the one you're holding? And he goes, no, 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 the story. When, when was it written? And I said, oh, 3,000 years ago. And he <laughs> and you know he's 11 years old and uh, you know he's expecting yeah. me to tell him you know 20 years ago you know <laughs> yeah. uh, you know it was 1957 an 11-year-old <laughs> Right. 1957 to an 11-year-old, what's the difference between, you know, exactly. 1980 and 1945? But uh, when I said 3,000 years ago, he just, <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. He goes, but it's, it, it's so, it's so fresh and it's so new and it's so relatable. 
And I said, that's because it's a story. And well, it's a story about people and uh, 3000 years. We're, we still, we still go through the same kinds of uh, yeah. drama and the same kind of problems. And we still react the same way. I said, and that's why you're able to re- relate to King Odysseus and uh, in the Odyssey. And, uh, and what a, what an amazing aha moment for him to realize that story is so important to us as human beings and how stories can be timeless. Now, not every Dungeons and Dragons session is going to be the Odyssey, but, uh, but, it, but it's all part of that uh, tradition of yeah. oral storytelling that we're, that we're passing on to our children. And that, that's incredible. Matt, thank you again. Thank you for being on the show. And I hope to have you back on again. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. It was just a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, yeah, just thanks a ton, man.